My dogs are hungry! My dogs are hungry! Oh, hi, Nick. Welcome to the episode. Thanks for having me. I uh, heard someone knocking. (laughs) Hello? You guys locked the door. You a southern Donald Trump supporter now? What was that? Whoa. Yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) How could he manage all these fucking restaurants? Just saying. He's got to be in the red. Armin White. Bro, don't... Don't even, don't ever say that name on this podcast again. Whoa. Please don't. Whoa. Oh it's my good. God. I think he's got some valid points on certain things. Dude, I'm not going to get in this to you. Don't bring me to this place. Can we get some girls in here? <laughs> you dumb bitch. Oh God. Now that's a Batman I would pay to see. Have you ever heard the French dub of Bane? Because it is fucking demonic and menacing and so fucking cool. I'm just like, why can't we have that? Why can't we have nice things? The fact that he could follow, I think, all these iconic and like classic performances, and still somehow pick another card from the deck, and you know, oh, <laughs> oh man, I'm can't, a son of a bitch. Can't wait to see how Jared Leto shuffles that deck. Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, the crew discusses Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. What's the difference between you and me? I'm not wearing hockey pants. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey guys, and welcome in to episode 56 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with the usual two, Nick Cheney and Toussaint Egan. Tiche, basara, basara, tiche, basara, basara. Is that a ripoff of the uh, Dark Knight Rises thing? You know it. Yeah, good. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. That was nice. Yeah. Where are you, Nick? Yeah, I, seriously. I, well, I can't endorse that that was good, but... <laughs> Fuck I, you. I, I can sit here idly by oh. and just let the car crash happen. Oh. Ooh, are uh, you talking about Toussaint, or are you talking about the Dark Knight trilogy? Oh, well, I guess that might be spoiling my future thoughts. Oh. So, if you weren't able to tease out, or you didn't listen to the intro, we are talking about Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy that uh, includes 2005's Batman Begins, 2008's The Dark Knight, and 2012's The Dark Knight Rises, which is right up there with uh, quite a quite a few other superhero films for worst title ever. So, I think we're going to start off by talking about how each one of us feels about these three films as a whole, and then we'll uh, have a group convo about each film separately. I never said thank you. And you'll never have to. Where are you? 
I've been bringing your stuff in for months. It's big. I want it. Well, would you like to see my mask? I use it in my experiments. I'm probably not very frightening to a guy like you, but these crazies can't stand it. So when did the nut take over the nut house? They scream and they cry. This is your game now. Who are you working for? It's Al Kalopan. Al Kalopan. Who are you working for? Dr. Green isn't here right now. We are tonight's entertainment. What happened? Did your, did your balls drop off? Hmm? <laughs> Madness, as you know, is like gravity. All it takes is a little push. <laughs> Do I really look like a guy with a plan? It's not about what I want. It's about what's fair! You thought we could be decent men in an indecent time. Well, perhaps he's wondering why someone would shoot a man before throwing him out of a plane. No one cared who I was till I put on the mask. We started the fire. Yes, the fire rises. Leave us. No, stay here. I'm in charge. Do you feel in charge? I've paid you a small fortune. This gives you power over me? Who are you? I'm Gotham's reckoning. I'm necessary evil. Maybe it's time we all stop trying to outsmart the truth and let it have its day. It means losing someone that I have cared for since I first heard his cries, but it might also mean saving your life. Why is he running, Dad? Because we have to chase him. Okay, we're going in. Go, go, move! <laughs> Hero Gotham deserves, but not the one it needs right now. So we'll hunt him. Because he can take it. Because he's not our hero. He's a silent guardian, a watchful protector. Toussaint, I know you are a big fan of Batman, as I am. I am, and Nick couldn't give a shit. Yeah. So, why don't the two of us start off, and then Nick can throw in his two cents or half a cent. Pretty one. much all it's worth. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. Yeah. So, you want to go first, or you want me to? Yeah, I'll go first. All right. Um, so, Christopher Nolan's uh, Dark Knight trilogy is probably, I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite trilogies, but it is one of the ones that has left the most impact on me personally. Um not so much in that they're they're especially deep films, but just because of like how much they've had a collective imprint on the the current iteration of 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 superhero films as they know it. I feel like their impact on superhero films is almost analogous to the impact of that of um, Frank Miller's uh, legendary like graphic novel, The Dark Knight Returns. It's a a a, a 
a successor in that same way in the cinematic space. I think that the emerging uh, trend between all three of the films, like I think retroactively he kind of created this this arc of escalation where it started with fear in the, the first Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. The second one, he said, was based around chaos or anarchy. Mm-hmm. And the third one was about pain, just like pain of like just moving on and trying to like literally getting your back broken. Like that, that's pretty much what, what it leads out to. And so I just think that combining all of those really like intense emotions and just like concepts that and, and distilling them into what is supposed to be just like a superhero format. Like I feel like Christopher Nolan really made it his own in a lot of ways, especially with Batman Begins, um, especially with uh, The Dark Knight. I thought that overall it was just a very satisfying like trilogy, even if the ending perhaps did not match up with what people like wanted out of out of the trilogy. But I feel like that's owed not only to inflated expectations following the second one, but also unfortunately events and circumstances that exist outside of his control. I was gonna say they really didn't make the film they wanted to no, make. They didn't. So yeah, it's it's. I mean, they didn't make the film they wanted to, but I feel like they made a a passable film in its own right, considering like. It's it's uh, contemporaries in the the superhero space. I also thought that it was really interesting, and this isn't just like individually linked to any one of the films. I thought personally, it's really interesting to look back on and see that the third act of every single one of these films is punctuated by a piece of Wayne technology that is being subverted into something like heinous, and the only one that's actually being used. Um, but at the behest of Batman himself is in Dark Knight, where it's actually supposed to be analogous to the the fear and the the overreach of a surveillance state. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Like the first one is the the water evaporator, second one is uh, the the cell phone like sonar system, and the third one is basically the all purpose like internal energy generator that can turn into a nuclear bomb. So yeah. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Because I genuinely forgot. But was uh, Bane always supposed to be in the third movie? No. no. Okay. I just didn't know. I couldn't remember if that was a reaction to Ledger's death or... For quite a quite a long period of time, the big rumor, rumor <laughs> was that Philip Seymour Hoffman was going to play the Penguin in the third film. <sighs> Don't tease me like that. Well... That's even... That's just a um, tragedy... Stacked on tragedy, <laughs> right there. I'm, I was going to say that. Yeah. Looking back on it now, it kind of, and the the other, it's funny that you actually say that because the other character that people were championing for was the Riddler, being played by Robin Williams, mm-hmm. who now also is God, dead. So, God damn the Batman dude. curse. I, it's I, not as bad as the Superman curse. <laughs> I feel like if you actually look back at the Dark Knight trilogy, though, in in retrospect, outside of the physical films. There are bad things that have happened to people around this series, not necessarily directly correlated, but you have Heath Ledger dying and whatever you want to call it, drug overdose, yeah. if you want to call it accidental overdose, whatever you want to call it. You have uh, Christian Bale and his inclusion in Terminator Salvation and that whole shit show. I mean, it's writing's all the mall, man. I mean, I was going more for the... The Aurora, Colorado events during oh, Dark Knight Rises. Oh, my God. I'm but you had to be a fucking dick about I'm it. I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. And yes. you turned it into, me and Bryce are trying to work here. I would never make a joke like that. <laughs> I didn't I didn't pick up on that thread. I'm sorry. I apologize. That's great. Yeah. You're just a horrible person. <laughs> Whatever, man. So, if I can take... Yes, please. Take give, the mantle. If I can take the mantle. Become the bat. On that note. Become the bat. <laughs> 
Uh, I absolutely love the Dark Knight trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, the first two films are in my top 12 all time. Okay. As we talked about on the superhero episode, I was really big fans of both of them. Um, I've seen them so many times now that it's it's a little hard because I feel like the more I watch them, the more I feel like they are... They, they fall into the trap that other Christopher Nolan films fall into, which is that they feel way too... I don't I don't really know what the best term is, but they feel like they move too clunky and they are too defined in their different sections. They go from one scene to another to another, and sometimes they don't connect as well as they should. He's a very methodical... Um director in that he's a very like I, I mentioned this before in the the inception episode just hate to like no you're step good. into it. it was like but he is a very rigid rule-based director in that he's so obsessed with like creating these premises and like following them out to the letter that like he didn't plan this to he was planning this 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 series as it went and trying to like rope all those things together especially like in the third one like the seams really do begin to show like, of how transparently he tried to, like, stitch together all these themes into one thing. Well, we'll get into it when we talk more about the films individually. But I have very specific things about the third film that I don't really care for. And I have other things about the first two that I also don't love, even though I give them both perfect ratings. Mm-hmm. Because I am a huge Batman fan, even though... As am I. Yeah, and I know you are. I know that the... Yeah. I know that the original Michael Keaton Batman is was your favorite superhero movie of all time. Yeah, for it, for reasons outside of the film, but rather nostalgic wise. Yeah, yeah. and I I am right there with you because yeah. I I watched that movie on VHS when I was five years old mm-hmm. and multiple times, and I absolutely fell in love with Batman. Which is funny looking back on it because for the most part, I don't care for anything that's involved with DC other than Batman. Yeah, so. It's kind of it's kind of hard when you look at Marvel as they are now. Even if they have gone off the deep end and it's probably beyond repair at this point. For a long time, I loved a lot of what Marvel was doing with their characters and with their films. And I feel like DC has a problem where I just can't get behind anything. However, these films, I can separate from that because these, I feel like, don't even fall into that sort of DC versus Marvel realm. Like, they exist in because their own it, place. It predated that. Essentially, it predated what we now are soon going to be know, knowing as the the DCCU, the DC Cinematic Universe. Yeah, whatever. Just just go for it. it like, because it's, it's, it's its own thing. It's, he was it's giving, Batman. He was giving carte blanche to do whatever he wanted because after the the abysmal Batman and Robin, like, fuck, you can do whatever you want. And he did. Yeah. And it, I, for the most part, turned out really well in the first two films and even somewhat in the third one. Mm-hmm. And I just love the character of Batman. I love Christian Bale's portrayal, even though I don't necessarily think it's the best portrayal ever of Batman. I liked what he was doing. and I liked his performance as Bruce Wayne as well. And the villains are what really make it for me in mm-hmm. these movies, even if Bane is a total disaster at some points. I feel like I like the decisions that Nolan made. I mean, to have the balls to have the Scarecrow as the main villain in the first film, I feel like was something that you will never again see in a superhero film. And to also have him go from the main, like, central, like, uh, villain that everybody's supposed to know to being this sort of low-key recurring character, like, 
sprinkled out throughout the entire like trilogy i thought was a really cool touch on his part um touching on like the a mutual love of batman like i think that i personally i'm reluctant to say that i love bruce wayne or batman i think i'm more in love with the aesthetic and the mythos and just the the storylines that involve batman but as a character like if you wanted to know my own personal feelings on batman i suggest you go to my letter letterbox account and read my my full review of Batman Begins because I'm very proud of that. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Way to pour yourself out there a little bit. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I guess that's what this is for, right? Yeah. It's not okay. really, but that's okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> Finishing on my my overall thoughts on the, on the Dark Knight trilogy, I just loved the villains throughout this series, and I loved the themes that they have. You talk about the themes of fear and chaos. And then why am I blanking pain. on the third? And pain well, in the that's third what, film. You wonder why you blank on the third one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I think this the idea of the two film the two themes that move throughout the films, which are I feel like depression is a major part of all three of these films, even if it's not like depression as in Lars von Trier, it's a much <laughs> different version of that. But also morality, which is a huge part of these films, mm-hmm. I feel like is very interesting because you don't see as much about morality in superhero films. Like this is, the, uh, I mean, this is the okay. This, I'm just saying. I think a lot of superhero films try to be about morality, but I, this, this is definitely a series that is because he is so stubborn well, about. about that. Yeah, yeah. Batman, Bruce Wayne is so stubborn about not actually killing people, even though he murders Ra's al Ghul, uh, that it really stands out. Because if you go back and watch the original Batman, Michael Keaton films. Like, he murders people all the time. Mm. If you watch Zack Snyder's Superman No, nah, man, he just fell down. He just fell down those stairs. Okay. I'm just saying, in 2016, a lot of superhero media is superheroes pontificating about the nature of murder. And but, okay, but, but, but... I'm not saying that... I feel like that no one started, better or... started here. Like, okay. I feel like... Well, you just said no other... So that's why I was just trying to say that I don't well, agree with not, that. Not to the, I guess when I'm saying no other... Until not, that point? Not to the... Well, not to the, that not to point the for extent. sure. And not to that extent, I will definitely argue, because it is seeming like a theme that is held tight throughout the entire film of trying to be the better person, even if Bruce Wayne feels like he's not a good person, which is very an interesting place to be. And I uh, I just think it's very interesting and it's very thought-provoking to have a superhero character that I feel like completely hates himself as a person and has no interest in ever living like living, which is why the ending of the dark Knight rises kind of doesn't really make sense to me, but that's okay. We'll get into that. Yeah, we will get into that. Did you have something else to say? Yeah, exactly. Just jumping off those last two points real quickly. Like I think that the reason why I enjoy the villains, particularly in this continuity is because I feel like it is their, their extrapolations of, the archetypes that we already know. We already know the Joker. We already know the Scarecrow. We already know Bane. We already know, at least a lot of people already know uh, now, like Raz Agul and Talia Agul. Mm-hmm. But the thing about these characters is that this isn't like the marvelous adventures of Batman. It's like these characters don't reoccur. They just exist. They just are. Like we don't really get to see their origin stories or anything like that. We don't have to like know where it all terribly went wrong. They just exist as these. Are we talking about the villains? I'm talking about the villains. Oh, yes. I was going to say the only one who I would say was not like that is Two-Face. Yeah, Two-Face Two-Face is one who was actually, like, created on screen. Mm-hmm. I thought that the way that he was actually, like, manufactured 
um, by the Joker was actually very interesting and very meticulous and very especially cruel in the way that he actually went about doing it. Um, and your your second point that you were talking about, God damn it, I think I just lost the thread. Um, was it about morality? Yeah, about morality. I think that what's really interesting to me is like I would agree with you on that and that like there are obviously been films like Spider-Man, which is like responsible for pretty much the – the initial explosion of what we now know as like superhero, like modern superhero films. And he, even he was like struggling with the age old question of with great, with great power comes great responsibility. But touching on what you're talking about, this is, we're talking about a character who actually does hate himself, who like, even though I know that you guys didn't really enjoy Batman mask of the phantasm. I know you did. I know you really, really didn't, didn't take to it at all. There is one scene from that. There are many scenes from that that I feel like dovetail into why I love the Christopher Nolan series. And one of them was when he's actually like kneeling in front of his parents' grave and he was just saying, it's like, maybe if I just give the city some money. And he's just trying to talk himself out of like jumping over this cliff, which is becoming Batman. And he says, please, I didn't, I didn't think I, – I, I didn't plan on being happy. I didn't plan on being happy. And that's like the saddest and most heartbreaking thing that I feel like really drives home to the, the, the latent psychoses of what drives him to become Batman. He doesn't think that he's worthy of being happy. He thinks that he has to shoulder on everything in order to save others and allow them to be happy. In a way, he is Gotham's sin eater. So I thought that's a great way of like I, – I thought the, the films really tackle morality in an interesting way in that way. Well, and I feel like – also, Bruce Wayne in these films doesn't want to have a reason to be happy. No, like that's the, the problem is that even though he is kind of happy in the second film for a while, he's really not. He just uses the death of Rachel Dawes as a further reason for him to be depressed, I feel like. And I feel like that's even more evident when Alfred, who's his most trusted confidant, whatever mm. you want to call him, yeah. gives him gives him the real truth and tells him exactly what happened in the dark Knight rises. And Bruce tells him to fuck off. And, and it's, it's that I feel like that's more heartbreaking than any part of the entire film. Yeah. And, and basically him just pretty much like investing his final hope into becoming a normal person just with Rachel and then her dying and then plunging himself even deeper into that. And then rejecting what Alfred had to say when he told him the truth, like really reveals like a very, a very unsavory and very selfish part of Bruce Wayne and that he has pretty much created this person to be his one and only salvation. And I feel like that is dehumanizing Rachel and he needs to find another reason to live. Like that's, that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, he did. And it was a girl too. So, you know, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess whatever. Well, he could put his pearl necklace on her finally. So, you know, that was something. <laughs> Is that what the kids are calling it nowadays? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Disgusted. All right. So, Nick. Uh, oh, <laughs> oh it, hi, Nick. Welcome to the episode. Thanks for having me. I uh, heard someone knocking. Oh. <laughs> Hello. You got to lock the door. <laughs> you, you a Southern Donald Trump supporter now? What was that? Whoa. Whoa. Yes, I am. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess... I, I gotta say, I, I'm glad I'm here, mm -hmm. uh, both on this earth and 
Uh, <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, and man. on this podcast, because yeah. you, you guys are extrapolating a lot of themes that I love. I mean, uh, depression and self-loathing are just right in my wheelhouse, let me tell you. <laughs> and I got to admit, I've never once read any of those into this movie, not because I can't see where they would come from or anything mm-hmm. like that, but... I should just come right out and say that I'm not a fan of this trilogy. Really? I know, right? <gasps> I I watched all three movies in the theaters when they came out, and I have not watched them again until uh, this week when we uh, when we decided we would do this. Mm-hmm. I remember, at least originally, I had fond memories of the first two movies, but by the time the third came out, I was just not just like done with it but also retroactively starting to realize that if i dislike the third movie as much as i do i don't think that there's as big of a quality jump between all three of them so therefore i probably don't like all three of them as much as i thought i did if i were to rewatch and that turned out to be the case uh, these movies are just not for me in any way shape or form i'm not a fan of superhero movies as i've said that uh, many times on this podcast and this is <laughs> like the epitome of how to do like from what i can at least understand considering i never read comics or anything like that but this seems like this is the epitome of how you actually adapt a comic book and not try to stay true to the spirit of what comics are but the actual source material of the comic you're adapting and like it seems from what i can tell that Christopher Nolan has certainly created a lived-in Gotham and and this brooding sense of, like you guys were saying, morality mm-hmm. and a few other uh, very Batman-esque uh, necessities uh, that, you know, certainly all work together. My, my, my problem, the reason why I can't get into it, at least upon the second watch, is that I just think he needs an editor. These movies have ranged from two and a half hours to two hours and 45 minutes. And for someone who's not into superhero movies, I can't really get transfixed by the action scenes, which are few and far in between and barely spectacular. There's a few good set pieces in The Dark Knight, I, I will admit. But across the entire trilogy, there's not a whole lot for me to grasp onto. When you think about DC movies, has there been a DC superhero film that has been under 215 in the last... 10 years. I what? Don't. what? I'm trying to think. I'm, I'm, hmm. No, that's a good question, and I really don't think so. <laughs> I really don't think there is um, a answer to that that starts with a Y. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and I also say, and I think, and I mentioned this on our superhero podcast, that I'm a big fan of the X-Men movies. And I think after watching this, I kind of understand, and I know that sounds random because that's about the X-Men, no, but as, as far as why I might not like Batman, I, I think I gravitate toward the X-Men movie because they have the campiness of the Marvel, shall we say, universe, but yet at least what Brian Singer was originally doing and uh, Vaughn came in to do and whatnot, kind of, I wouldn't say took the self-seriousness of like the Nolan uh, trilogy, mm-hmm. but... I do think they kind of paved the way because if X-Men was the first true live at, at not the first live adaptation, but the first after the string of Batman movies that really ushered in the, the way for like Spider-Man and whatnot, they did set a, a serious tone like that these were not just men in suits and whatnot, that mm-hmm. these were real people and whatnot. And I think that... Uh, I think CRISPR Nolan actually is somewhat influenced by what Brian Singer did with the original X-Men. Uh, it's just he goes so far into that other side of the spectrum of being serious, which is not a bad thing. But if you're not someone who is taking it seriously to begin with, it, it, I, it's hard for me to get into. And the last thing I'll say before we really get into like individual movies is because of 
the the editing. I mean, the, I, there are times when we go from scene to scene in these movies that I have no idea what I'm watching. Not because I can't comprehend what's happening in any given scene, or because I can't uh, figure out like why this conversation is being had, but I can't understand in what way that we've decided that this was the best way to tell these stories, uh, especially across what amounts to almost eight hours of story. Can I say, yeah. um, when we talk about just simple transitions and just pure editing between scenes in these films, they're not very inventive. They are very much the same thing over and over. I think the problem I got into with these simple transitions in the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises is that we went often from non-IMAX to IMAX for like a five-second beauty shot and then back to non-IMAX. And I just, I, I just can't get on board with that just because when you're sitting at home and the aspect ratio is changing for the only reason to show you a mountain or a river or something like that, it doesn't feel like there's any purpose for it. When, I, when you're trying to show me... But Alex, it's a beautiful mountain. That's fine. When you're trying to show me a awesome action sequence, I totally get it. Like, yeah. it makes sense. And it's an elongated <clears throat> seven-minute sequence or something like that. But it's, when it's ten seconds of scaling a mountain with an IMAX camera... It it just feels so out of place. I will say one really quick thing in response to that, because you're bringing up something that's touching into my nerdy side, because I love <laughs> film formats. Uh, there are only three instances in which I appreciated the mix of the IMAX format with the uh, standard 2.35 by 1 ratio, which is, uh, if you do it something like The Hunger Games, or... <laughs> And I'm going to show my uncredibility here. Or Tron Legacy. Whatever. Where the IMAX is specifically supposed to point out a certain, shall we say, stretch of time. So for both of those, when Katniss goes into the games, it becomes the IMAX format and it never leaves. Mm. Or, and not only that, but it's actually pretty cool because it actually expands on the screen. Like, we don't just cut to it. The, mm-hmm. the screen just gets bigger, which is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Yeah. Or Tron Legacy when uh, when whatever Flynn, Flynn uh, goes into the, the, the world, it becomes the IMAX thing and whenever as long as he's in it and that, See, that kind but, of thing but that's great i mean that's that makes sense that's that's i feel like almost like if you're watching the wizard of oz for yeah. the first time and it goes from black and white to color or and even it has like a what purpose. wes anderson did with the grand budapest yeah. where he you know used it to mirror the era or whatever like it makes sense there, there's only one instance which i felt earned it's the abrupt changes which was um another movie but mission impossible uh not the most recent but the the Ghost, Ghost Protocol. 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 Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was an IMAX one where it switched between and very abruptly. But it did it where I would both not notice it at all, which is okay, but or I would notice it and it would actually take my breath away like when he's on the side of the building or something. Unfortunately, I don't know that Christopher Nolan in the, in the landscape of Gotham has enough to work with to make that switch, uh, I would say, less distracting than it is. I think some of it was cool, like the opening scene of The Dark Knight Rises. I feel like it really works there. But when we have it interspliced in small sections, like I was mentioning earlier, it's just fucking bloody awful when you're watching the film and you're trying to enjoy it. And I try not to get annoyed by things like that, but I feel like at the end of the day, how can you not? Yeah. There's this uh, this this one video, now that you guys are talking about editing, that I feel like I have to raise, particularly with The Dark Knight, that it, it's this channel called Behind the Reel, and this guy actually like unpacks the editing of the underground sequence when Harvey Dent is being ferried by all the police people and like the Joker's coming after him, and then it becomes like this 
like dogfight, so to speak, like a car chase between Joker, uh, Harvey Dent's convoy, and the the Batmobile. If I can just sneak in here for one second, I will tell you that that is my favorite sequence of the entire trilogy. So. That's your favorite sequence of the entire trilogy because I we're gonna wildly diverge on that because as soon as I, as soon as soon I I loved that scene when I first watched it, okay. but after I watched that video, holy fucking shit! The continuity of that scene of how it is edited is just an absolute fucking hot mess. I mean, that's how I feel about all these movies. Go, I mean, I'll give it credit in other areas, performances or whatever, but I, the, the thing that actually connects all three of these movies is that it, he forgot to hire an editor. Dude, like, I, I, I'm to, I'm totally not know, trying you, to, like, you, shit on no, that. You know what? Final Cut Bro over here. <laughs> no, I'm not. Like, we, we haven't gotten into specific movies, but let's do this right now. Let's let, do this, and then we'll go into let, Batman Begins. Yeah, let's just do this this one scene, okay? Let's okay. do it. I'm going to ask you to just do one thing the next time that you rewatch this movie, okay? Mm-hmm. I want you... Probably in 10 years to count the cop cars throughout this scene that are next to harvey dent's convoy because it goes from three and then it goes from two and then it goes to one and then it goes from three and then it goes to two again it is an absolute mess you don't know laterally where batman's car comes from you don't know where it comes from it destroys the 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 well, hey, if the, that car the, can get out into parking garages, I think you can get anywhere. It, it destroys the, 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 the trash truck, and then it swirls around, and then there's all this other shit that just happens. It, like, it's very – it moves beat to beat to beat, and it's very exciting, but if you actually try to unpack like what the fuck is going on, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. For me personally, why I love that sequence so much, it, it may only be because we have – we have actually, I feel like, a legitimate chase that is happening in reverse of how we're watching it, which is we're having the Joker who's chasing, who's trying to chase Batman, mm-hmm. who is trying to chase, well, no, sorry, we have Batman chasing the Joker who is trying to chase Harvey, Harvey Dent, Dent. Yeah. when in reality, it's Gary Oldman who is playing the police commissioner mm-hmm. who's chasing after the Joker. Mm-hmm. And Batman is trying to protect him at the same time. So it's kind of happening, not exactly, but inverse of how it's being displayed during the actual chase. Because there's so many different things going on that the first time you watch it, you can't... I feel like there's no way you could think of how this is actually playing out and why. Like the... the, the, the You're not really looking... What? I said, you're not really looking. Oh, it's like the don't prestige. Don't want to know. I actually do want to know for this scene, at least specifically, because, yeah, like, there are, there's stupid shit like the Batmobile flying to stop the bomb that it had no chance of being there. How could it hop? I don't, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not, there's, there's too many things in it's here. It's got hydraulics. There's it, too, there's too many things. You guys things are doing that, my work for me. There's too many things that look cool for me. It, it can, I, it I can hate, turn I, into a fucking motorcycle, which I want to actually talk about that motorcycle yeah, after the fact, yeah. So. I, I, I feel like. I've I've got too much Pacific Rim going on here. That's like, fine. I don't give a fuck. Like it just does not matter to me. You know what? That's fine. I mean, the sound of the glass breaking when the fucking motorcycle goes into the shopping mall mm-hmm. sounds so fucking good. Mm-hmm. I I just love it. And the woman who darts out of the way and he drives past and blows shit up that for some reason when he shoots something it just explodes completely out of his way and doesn't just create bigger matter. 
uh, I don't care. It doesn't matter. There are obvious problems with that scene, but you know what's not the problem is enjoying it. There's no problem enjoying it. I was going to say, if we really want to get into nitpicking, I do. I mean, hey, hey, and I, I could see why is for a lot of editing. I, I do. Well, I know you. I barely remember this scene, and I watched it like three <laughs> days ago. <laughs> okay, damn. Son. After getting the rope and cable around the semi truck, and then we have one of the most awesome stunts ever, which is the semi truck flipping. Forward, I can't tell you how many times I try to recreate that in Crackdown, in in, no, in Crackdown oh. or GTA. Like I didn't know how they did it, but I was like, "Oh my god, it's so cool!" I mean, they did something very similar with CGI in Terminator Genesis, which is yeah, it was that... all over that trailer. Like, look, look what we can do. <laughs> look, look, but look, they look actually, <laughs> they actually did it seven years ago in a yeah. far superior film. So that's something. But when. For no reason, Batman gets to the end, and he goes up to whatever building that is on Michigan Avenue, and the motorcycle like drives halfway up, turns around in midair, and lands apparently the other way. I thought that was the stupidest thing I had ever seen. Everybody clapped in the theater when that happened, though. God. It's been drunk people like in Jurassic World. Nah, like, man. We, people just were so hopped up on the Batman. Yeah, that scene, that scene gave me some feels, for sure. Oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah, I bet. Every, every time I watch it. Huge fan. Okay, so let's move on to uh, the individual films, starting with 2005's Batman Begins. This is where it all begins. Yes. And the start of uh, two, it's a magic trick. two awful names in the trilogy, because Batman Begins is terrible, in my opinion. Mm. It's not as bad as Batman v Superman Agreed. Dawn of Justice. See, now I, you're saying it now. I'm really happy now. I actually Anytime. think Dawn of Justice would have been a really good title. They should have just called it that. Nah, but you got to know who's V versus V. V for Vendetta? That would have been See? much better. Don't do the speech, Tucson. All right. <laughs> we'll save it for the V for Vendetta episode. Yeah. So this film stars Christian Bale, Michael Caine, Ken Watanabe, Liam Neeson, Katie Holmes, Gary Oldman, Killian Murphy, and Tom Wilkinson. And this uh, the Batman Begins film uh, starts with Batman being by, trained by his mentor, Ra's al Ghul, as he is trying to uh, get over events that happened earlier in his life and then comes to an impasse with himself and the League of Shadows. Mm-hmm. So... Um, what do we all feel about this movie? Because I know I feel like it's a, a perfect film for me, and I could certainly see reasons why people wouldn't think that. But because it's a Batman film, and because I love so many things about it, I'm willing to give this a perfect rating and not bat an eye twice at it. I think that my appreciation for this film mostly comes out of like being very familiar with the actual... like origin of batman and i'm really interested in how like christopher nolan like recontextualizes that into his own and by actually not just like pulling this this origin out of like out of out of thin air of like just weaving out of like wool cloth but rather like actually going to the comic book source material and just like melding into like different things like throughout this entire episode i'm going to talk about some of the comics that actually influence like these individual films and like for me like Batman Begins is inspired by um, Frank Miller's Batman Year One, which is pretty much like there's a reason why we tolerate Frank Miller, even though he looks like the yellow bastard from Sin City. And he created Holy Terror and a lot of other bad things that I I don't agree agree with um, because Batman Year One is one of the greatest origin stories for Batman in that it's not a an origin story about Batman. It's an origin story about Commissioner Gordon. I think that's what's really interesting about it. It's inspired by The Man Who Falls, which is from 1989, and it's inspired by The Dark Knight Returns, which is 
Frank Miller's other claim to fame, like his other famous one. And I just think that like there's there's a lot of things that I, I really like about this. One, because I went to go see this when it was in theaters in 2000, Five. 2005, and I thought this was actually going to be my last Batman film I would ever see. Whoa. Like I was – I like as a – as a 15-year-old, 14-year-old, I just got tired of Batman because I could not stand Batman, Ro- Batman and Robin. But what I really enjoyed is that this film kind of like trudged up for me like one of my favorite villains that I absolutely forgot the name of. I forgot about Ra's al Ghul. And I was like, oh my god, I remember watching that guy in the animated series. He was so fucking cool. Um, so- I, w- I was going to say, I actually had a very similar experience when I went to see Batman Begins really? where I thought – that I was just not going to like it at all. Mm-hmm. And I went to almost begrudgingly see it because I liked Batman so much. Same and here. I felt burned by Batman and Robin. And I felt like this was pointless because we just had a... And now we're in a totally different era of film now where you can have a Spider-Man start three years later. And then another Spider-Man continuity start two years after that. Mm-hmm. But at that time, I was like, why is there a new Batman? I don't understand. I didn't know too much about Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker at that time. And yeah, man, I was just blown away. As I'm sure you at least thought it was a much better film than you were expecting. I did think it was a much better film. And just going off of like my initial impressions like back then, I didn't know how to feel about it. Because one, um, it wasn't the origin story that I was familiar with. I, I, that took me some while to, to actually like come to grips with that. Um, and the fact is that I wasn't at first a really a big fan of the Batmobile. It's still not my favorite Batmobile, but it's still an interesting... It's a tank. It's a fucking bat tank. It's a bat tank mixed with like a, a, a an all-purpose vehicle, like an EVC. I feel like it's hard because at the same time, I, I actually agree with you because I love the original Batmobile. Actually, I love all three Batmobiles that are in the uh, Batman series that was started by Tim Burton. I mm-hmm. obviously love the original, and I feel like the ones that were in the third and fourth films were actually really cool, too. Yeah. Even though they, they made were cool little, toys. Yeah. And they they were interesting to look at, and they they didn't have any bad freeze puns. They just drove. So, you yeah. know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But I have a love-hate relationship because I love the raw sort of kind of tank power weapons that the Tumblr has. Mm-hmm. And also, too, I, I do appreciate that Nolan was going so far for trying to be realistic that he used something that doesn't look like it was created from a comic book. So, yeah. 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 I, um, I especially like the, the design of the scarecrow and the scarecrow is like, like actual, like mask. I thought, I thought that was actually really cool. Like he has this really like psychotic tilt, whereas like he puts on the mask and he becomes this other person. And it's just like, yeah, kind of like Batman. (laughs) I was just like, actually exactly like Batman. There is one thing that, um, trips me up in, 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 in that it kind of like foreshadows that Christopher Nolan had no idea what the fuck this was actually going to turn into. Um, I like how he uses the bat sonar at the end of Batman Begins in order to basically like chase down uh, Scarecrow and like find out where the actual like like neurotoxin whatever is being made. And it's so overwhelming and it's so fucking effective. It begs the question, why the fuck did you not use this in any other film? Why? There's no, there is no, 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 there's no answer hey, to hey, that. Hey, we are not on the opposite side of the fence, buddy. I, I know. It's just, it's so fucking frustrating. As soon as you see it, like, it's as plain as day. I'm just like, damn, he had no idea. Because he used it already. So that's why he can't use it again. I mean, did he have to recharge? Like, it'll, you can only do it once a lifetime. Yeah. 
When you're talking about films and you're trying to keep it fresh, yes, you can't just go back and use the same tool over and over again. Oh, my God. At least give a reason why you can't use it anymore. Uh, Okay. But, yeah, that's it. That, that's it, really? You're just yeah. done? Yeah, okay. Yeah, See ya. <laughs> Thanks, Tucson. Sorry. Good episode. Um, yeah, I saw this movie back when it, was, <laughs> yeah. when it came out. This is a movie I saw. It is, and I saw it in the drive-in uh, because I really wanted to see the second movie, but it was the first one. <laughs> so I... I what you're, you're hate- confused right the now. second movie oh, in the drive-in there's always I two movies talking about the dark knight i was like no, wait no, no, a minute no, no. how on. did this happen keep up no there's there's always a you know an, a, a, feature. a dusk shall we say show and then a like a later time show and this was the first one and i can't remember what was the second one maybe it was collateral or something but whatever what, white chicks i saw that at the drive-in too anyway. i bet you like that more than this film. i mean white ticks uh, white ticks like, I'm not even going to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> anyway, um, so That's I barely paid attention, I think, the very first time I saw this. I remember there were ninjas in it. That was about it. Uh, so then we rewatched it last week all together, and it was really boring for me. It's This was like a Law & Order episode with like Batman running around. I mean... I give credit to Nolan for coming up with a great cast. Like That's pretty much the strength of these movies, in my opinion. Um... But money doesn't solve everything, and it doesn't matter how much money you throw at whatever actors are, are going to show up for this. It's still such a lackluster script for me. Um, regards to like the villain being Scarecrow, I actually I like uh, Cillian Murphy, and now rewatching all three, he might be my favorite villain out of all three movies. Hmm. Um, Which is actually kind of funny because of how inconsequential he is to the entire trilogy. And, and I think that's why I actually liked it. Like, he, he just existed, like what kind of Toussaint was alluding to earlier, as far as how these villains just exist. I, I feel like the... And I won't talk too much about the Joker or anything like that, but Joker and Bane, like, they, they felt like they existed to adverse Batman and not just, like, organically on their own mm-hmm. uh, in, in this universe. I'm not yeah. talking in the entire Batman, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, but, but the Scarecrow, you know, I actually genuinely did like... I thought it was a little... Hokey with the uh, the special effects every time he does his little drug, like with the whole shaky cam. Like, really, you didn't like that? No, I thought that oh, was kind of stupid. Did and... you like the special effect of Scarecrow being afflicted with the toxin himself and like seeing Batman? That that part was actually not bad. That, was was, the, dope. that elevated what I thought was a hokey uh, special effect. Um, I, but I gotta say, like at the end of the day, it's still a two and a half hour movie, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it feels like a five hour movie for me. It Ooh. it just goes from scene to scene, and like first we're gonna do the origin story, and I get that. Like why else? Like what other scenes would this movie have? I'm not trying to say it should do anything different, but as much as Nolan certainly, I would say, did something unique as far as gave a whole new tone, shall we say, to superhero movies. For me, that was his only contribution to uh, superhero movie. Anything good about this trilogy goes back to the source material. It goes back to the creation of whoever thought of the Joker. And and certainly there are some good performances across the board uh, through all three movies and in Batman Begins itself. But I, I don't know that he did enough, and that's why I think, it for me, it has diminishing returns as to why I liked it Maybe originally when I first saw it because I hadn't seen something like it. Not only have I now seen something like it, and sure, there are even worse copycats like Snyder or whatever, yeah. um, but I've seen even, I would say, competent things like it that know how to tell a slightly shorter story and uh, and with a little more, I would say, connective tissue between a scene because here we just, and, and this is prevalent through all three, but we just go from scene to scene and it has so many characters and 
the worst part about that, and maybe this is just going to be a, an inherent flaw. In, you can't remember any of them? I can't remember any of them, but here's the thing. Your main character is two characters. You have that dichotomy between Batman and Bruce Wayne, and yet we can't support one main character, let alone the two, if we're going to spread it this far uh, apart between Ra's al Ghul, Scarecrow, Alfred, uh, Lucius Fox, like, uh, and Rachel Dawes, and I could keep going, you know, uh, Falcone. Like, we have so many characters that is only... This is why I was actually kind of excited for the Gotham show, which ended up being horrible. Oh, God. But because I think a TV show like Batman the Animated Series, even if I wasn't a big fan of that movie, I can understand where the value of having uh, you know weekly stories about these characters would actually come into handy because you could both develop somebody like Bruce Wayne and his alter ego. Cause I do think like it's, a comic book. Yes. Where you can, yes, a, an ongoing serial. And I don't think he, I think he tried to do that in the span of this one movie. And of course, then we had two more movies to follow, but he had to make it like there was no tomorrow, so to speak. And it ends up uh, with diminishing returns for me. Okay. Going off of what you're talking about with the, the, the villains and how, you like Scarecrow because it doesn't seem like he was created in order to adverse uh, Batman. I think that also extends to Ra's al Ghul because like, I, I'm, I'm interested I I'm interested in Ra's al Ghul. I forget. Most... So this movie has three villains somewhat. I mean it's it got has – It's Falcone. Yeah, Falcone, who Ra's al Ghul, and Scarecrow. Very, Falcone is a very minor character. No, but he's he also is, but one I'm of just your saying, favorite performances. This is a movie right? that – Well, yeah, because had... I just really like Tom Wilkinson and he I yeah. think puts on a good performance here. And I like Liam Neeson role. and I like Cillian Murphy, but I'm just saying like this is the first movie and mm. we've already introduced three villains. However, right? I guess where I'll disagree with that is that I, I don't really see them climbing all over each other because I don't think other than the small scenes that Killian Murphy and Tom Wilkinson have together – we get any overlap between those characters, and they're all kind of using each other in different ways for different purposes. So it's not like they're part of this big organization that's working together like Blofeld and some shit like that in uh, the James Bond series. But we have Spectre. Well, Spectre and... Oh, you mean like... Because usually when Blofeld shows up, he's really the only person. I know, but I'm saying like... Where he's, it was tried to tie together right, all right. in a big package. Where right. here they're using each other, but at separate times and for different purposes. And they're not trying to tie this big thing together at the end. I just feel like it flows a lot better than what you you see in it, and I. That's why I disagree because I feel yeah. like we see at the beginning Liam Neeson's character, and even though I feel like it's really easy on the surface, eleven years later, to see it it should have been obvious that he was going to be coming back in the end. Mm. I feel like the first time I was actually seeing the film, I was genuinely kind of surprised that he showed up again at the end. And not because it's so out of the realm of possibility, but because I was an 18 year old idiot superhero fan that was just surprised that a guy who was not a crazy supervillain mm-hmm. actually was the guy pulling the strings the whole time. And just this regular guy with a weird looking goatee showed up to be the main villain. And yeah. I, I, I loved it. And at that point, we've already sent Falcone and Killing Murphy away, and he can be in the climax of the film. Yeah, I, I think the most interesting thing for me about Ra's al Ghul in this continuity is when you're, when you're talking about how it would be foreshadowed that he would come back in the third one, Like I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but I think that the nature of his most... I, I was yeah, talking, about, he's how talking he about how he returns at, returns the, at the, the end of the At the film. climax of the movie because you think he's oh, not Oh, okay. Back, I'm right? sorry. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I apologize. No, um, that's okay. Yeah, I, I think what's most interesting to me about how Ra's al Ghul is handled in this continuity, especially of how he 
he comes back in in The Dark Knight Rises is the nature of his most defining characteristic, which is his immortality. This guy is supposed to have lived thousands and thousands, like hundreds of years, and have led this 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 um this entire like league of shadows. And it really begs the question of is he really immortal or is he or is Razagul just an honorific title? Yeah. Would he... Bruce Wayne have become the new Razagul in time? Well I think in a kind of a way he was trying to in a much more heroic and positive sense because he creates the character of Batman who is very personal to him. Mm. But at the same time, it's supposed to be a personal campaign. Well, it is and it isn't because I feel like the character of Batman is supposed to be this character that can live on, which is why we get the very ending of the final film Mm -hmm. that it doesn't have to be Bruce Wayne. It just has to be somebody, somebody. And that's the exact same thing that I feel like happened with Ra's al Ghul, that it became this legend almost. And the legend is bigger than the human Mm -hmm. and it's more important. And that's, I feel like, and also the kind of cheap trick of saying someone else is him so you can hide in plain sight and whatever. Yeah. Which I feel like kind of works. So I was a fan. And Nick, to a point you were talking about earlier with Batman and Bruce Wayne, how we're we're having to sort of have two characters here. I, I guess I don't really see that either. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with that. You don't see what that. specifically? That Batman? That you'd have to have two characters? No, I, I, I see that you physically have to have two characters because there is Batman and there is Bruce Wayne. But I feel like as uh, kind of with other films where it centers around superheroes that have an alter, alter ego, which is their regular human person or alien person or whatever, and then you have their superhero persona, I feel like the way that they blend together specifically in Batman Begins actually is way easier for me to swallow than a lot of other films like some of the stuff with toby Maguire in the third spider-man and in the some of the first <laughs> you're ones. citing like the worst like movie of one of the worst superhero movies ever but I, I'm, I'm citing i'm citing superman super superman spider-man Spider- 3 super spider-man 3 the the only one i'm not saying about is spider-man 2 i said to a lesser extent the first yeah. one i just feel like in general Bruce Wayne and Batman and Batman Begins blends together and has such a clear path between them that it's hard for me to really separate them as opposed to most other superhero here's, films. Here's what I'll say. I think I'm not, I would almost agree with you because what what I meant by that comment is simply that my very narrow-minded view of superhero fiction in general always leads me to believe that superheroes are in some way some kind of reaction to whoever the person is. Like they are distinctly different. Like when when uh, was it? I almost said Tobey Maguire. And when Peter Parker puts on the Spider-Man suit, so to speak, or maybe they're the same person. Maybe. Yeah. But when Peter Parker puts on the Spider-Man suit, he he becomes Spider-Man. Like I. I like he, I feel like he becomes more self-confident, and he becomes you know more quippy and more uh, whatever. Uh, I don't ever like feel like when in this franchise when Batman puts on, or I should say when <laughs> Bruce, Bruce Wayne, Wayne. <laughs> puts on the Batman mask that he's ever not Christian Bale talking like this. Like it's just so ridiculous on a performance level for me, and on a writing level that I never feel like it is some kind of dichotomy. Because I I always feel like that's I at least I've I've heard other people talk about it too that there there always is some kind of divide between what Bruce Wayne represents and what Batman represents. And it doesn't matter how many characters say 
what each other represents. I, I have to also feel that in the but performance. But the, the character who's actually wearing the mask throughout this series is Bruce Wayne. No, like, I, I get that. I'm yeah. not, <laughs> it's well, not like I never saw I, that. Yeah, but, but, but see, but, there, there's the person and there's the persona that you actually take on. Like, there's... Right. Like, I, I, I see If he was truly Bruce Wayne, people would know he's Bruce Wayne. But I feel like you have to become mm-hmm. a, 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 a different person, not a radically different person. He doesn't have to, like, speak in a southern accent or something. You're like, becoming a myth in, in sort of right, way. Right, like, you like, have to be like larger than life and he seems smaller than life when he does here's what here's something that just bothers the fuck out of me like for all the money i said no 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 not 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 what you said is like for <laughs> i all, mean i would see it but... for all the money that bruce wayne is willing to funnel into essentially like build no <laughs> well, to, yeah. to essentially build a bigger and better kevlar plated gimp suit to go out and beat up the mentally deranged like he couldn't afford afford a a, a, vo- a vocoder coder yeah. or, a, or a voice modulator he had to like talk like he was like emulating did he just like watch the good the bad and the ugly and unforgiven like a thousand times before doing this he just smoked yeah. a pack of like he just smoked like five packs of marlboros and be like oh, i'm batman and i think that's where christopher nolan's quote-unquote realism shoots itself on the foot yeah and, and it's i would say uh inability to just accept things at an arm's length it it, it ends up looking more silly than it intends to for me hmm. and therefore i'm looking at something that is basically screaming take me seriously and i'm like but you can't even uh, take yourself seriously when you could just have you you wrote a billionaire not wrote but you have a billionaire uh, character you know you, you don't have to have a ridiculous voice and but that's Nick, just a you have little to see his face yeah and that's a little microcosm of like the, the batman problem at this movie and and i know i don't really like christian bale so i may be biased but i i don't know that like if any other actor that I like, like Oscar Isaac or something, if he was given the same direction by Nolan where now you're going to be Oscar Isaac, but when you put on this suit, I want you to talk like this. Like, I don't think I would find it any more. But he doesn't do that in Batman Begins, really. Like, he's doing it. Okay, I mean, okay, if you, if maybe you, I'm if talking you, about the whole okay. Batman. If but... you watch Batman Begins and then watch The okay. Dark Knight, there's a clear divide between what his voice sounds like. I mean, I do think it jumps Yes, there is. Don't, little, even, but... don't even do it, Tucson. Don't oh, even try it. You can't, you can't really hear what my my face is but it's just like this total like shit-eating grin of like are you for real dog <laughs> come on man you just watched all these movies i did just watch all these movies yeah. and that's why i'm looking at you like what what you smoking it's okay it, it, it's, yeah. it's, it's totally okay i just <laughs> okay. i i disagree with the use of that voice throughout the entirety of the thing that's the one mark that i have against one mark among a couple that I have against Well, since we're talking about something that doesn't really start until Dark Knight, (laughs) why don't we just straight up move on to Dark Knight? All right, let's talk about that film. uh, A film that garnered a lot of attention when it was released with Heath Heath Ledger's death. Who here saw the Midnight Show, in? I did. I, I did. did. Yep. See, like even Three someone who goes. doesn't like, you know, is it like even yeah. I went and saw the Midnight Show. And I went it was to go an see ev- it five times. It was an event in a lot of ways. I felt like it was. I don't even know if it was the birth, but it was like the pinnacle of what a Midnight Showing was. Uh, Agreed. Until mm-hmm. the unfortunate third movie. But yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But at the same time, in addition to all of the, I guess I would say attention that this film was given because of Heath Ledger's death and that he was playing the Joker and a very important character in the Batman universe. Uh, This film got unbelievably great reviews before coming out. And many people, Robert, uh, Robert, Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert, uh, yeah. Classic Robert. Yeah, Robert Ebert, whoever the fuck that is. Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert, Peter Travers... 
name, you know, list an, any real, any, any real. <laughs> Whoa, no, you're insulting real, a like lot a, of film well, critics. Like a lot of film critics, yeah. Okay, let, list, list any film critic that writes for a publication that would be recognized. Armin White. Bro, I, don't. Don't even don't ever say that name on this podcast again. Whoa! Please don't. Whoa! Oh it's my god! I think he's real. got some valid points on certain things, dude. I'm not going to get in this to you. He wrote an essay don't in bring, one of my in the Criterion edition of one of my favorite movies. Don't don't bring me to this place. Don't I don't want to go there. It's an Austrian film called Red Avant. Don't anyway. don't no don't. So anyways, uh, but there was just so much hype surrounding the Dark Knight, and I feel like for me. This is one of the very few instances where I went into a film expecting it to be awesome, and it completely lived up to my expectations. Mm-hmm. I love The Dark Knight from start to finish when I saw it all three times in the theater, and most of the viewing since then, even though I've seen it 11 times now all the way through and many other times in bits and pieces. So like any other film that you've seen too many times, it starts to grow a little bit old after a while. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there are things that are clunky about this, just like the other two films in the series, including the editing, including the moving from scenes, and including something that I didn't mention when we were talking about Batman Begins, but is definitely evident throughout this entire series, which is Christopher Nolan's horrible humor writing, which I feel like yeah. has always been... Because I'm not wearing hockey pants. Yeah, that's one part of it. But it's a lot of other beats that are just absolutely dreadful that I feel like is the opposite of camp in a bad way because it is not only not accomplishing anything when you're seeing the film, it's not going to accomplish anything 20 years later. Like going back and watching the original Superman movie that has ridiculous lines like Superman asking Lois Lane what color her panties are or something like that. Mm. Like that shit like that, that watching it, you know, 30, 40 years later is actually pretty hilarious. I feel like, why, like, listen, Superman's a perk. Well, he is, yes. But X ray vision. <laughs> yeah. But none of these lines Super that are trying to be funny in any of these films, I don't think I will even move my mouth in any sort of way, shape, or form because they're just not funny after you've seen them once. And even the first time, they weren't that funny. I gotta say really quick that not only are some of the lines not funny, some lines I genuinely can't tell if he meant that seriously or, or comedically because there is, I laughed out loud at the, the scene toward the beginning of The Dark Knight in which one of the mobsters got out of the van and with the dogs, and he's like, my dogs are hungry! My dogs and I are hungry! And, uh, well, no, but, and I could not stop thinking about, like, is this the deleted scene from Fire Walk With Me when Leland Palmer's at the top of the staircase going, I'm hungry! Like, it, is it sounded exactly Exactly like that, and, Again. and <laughs> yes, <laughs> thank you. And, but uh, it's just there are certain line deliveries that I just don't understand whatsoever. And like I like I feel like everybody had Joker fever in that movie because there was just a lot of over the top acting that didn't come exclusively from the Joker where it fit, but from other but characters I, as well. That, that's funny because that's the only character I feel like in the entire series that I actually genuinely laugh at things he says throughout. The Joker. Yes. Not the mobster who... No, not, not that guy. <laughs> yes, yes. What are you going to do? You're going to embarrass me in front of my friends? Okay, Eric Roberts, why don't you go chew some more peyote? Um, the Joker. <laughs> the Joker genuinely says things that are funny because I feel like Nolan was trying to write it as someone who is trying to express that they don't care instead of Nolan being like, look at how funny Michael Caine is when he's not. I just, yeah. I, I, the humor in this series is falls flat. 
Big time. Um, just going off of the humor, like this was like one of my later points, but I just wanted to jump into it. Like I know that there are a lot of points that aren't funny about this, but one thing that really stuck out to me upon rewatching this is that there is sort of this – the things that I didn't necessarily laugh at but kind of like, ooh, they just kind of like – it was like a knife to just kind of like twist it into my gut, so to speak, of how it kind of mirrors the Joker's own humor and that these, these jokes are, are so – like incisive they just like dig underneath the uh the 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 bottom of my ribcage so to speak like the first time that this actually like happened to me was when you actually see the joker on screen for the first time and he's actually at the uh the 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 gang lord meeting right like the the basically the people who are trying to like get their money back right and he basically just goes on to just like ins- insult all the people there is like would your balls fall off or something and then you have like gamble who is just like seething in the corner and just like you guys better get your shit together or else uh little gamble over here won't be able to get a nickel for his grandma and i was like oh my god like that is like diminutive emasculating and implicitly racist like i didn't know how to feel about that line like holy fucking shit um i thought it was a badass line but i was like holy fucking shit joker um and then there's another line that i think even did he talk back he said that's it he just like he just no oh yeah he just like slammed his fist let's on. not blow things out of proportion that i thought was that i thought was lame i, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> Whoa, I, that was one of my favorite jokes i didn't give a shit about that um those are my kind of jokes but there's another joke um that is not even like it's, it's kind of like a played as a, a banter a banter like joke but when you actually like rewatch it it's like oh my god that's really fucking dark where harvey is going to the 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 fundraiser put on by, by Bruce Wayne and he meets up with Alfred and I was like, Alfred is like, Oh man, it's so great to meet you. It's like, I've heard so much about you. It's like, you've known Rachel her whole life. And he's like, not yet. Sir. Yeah, that was great. And they're like, ha 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 ha. I was like, she's going to die in 30 minutes in this movie. My, my two favorite Joker lines, if we're just getting to specific quotes that the Joker has, which we kind of are now mm-hmm. the, the one you already brought up, which is his absolutely amazing delivery of the line what happened did your balls drop off yeah like so low toned and not trying to say with any emphasis just monotone saying what happened your balls drop off do you see a doctor about that (laughs) and at the end of the film when he's hanging upside down and smiling and saying i won't kill you because of your you won't kill me because of your misplaced sense of self-righteousness and i won't kill you because Because you're you're just too much fun. fun yeah that was just so spot on for what this film was trying to be. And the fact that you have a character who's saying that while hanging upside down off of a building mm. as the camera is slowly tilting around so the audience can view him right side up. Oh, man. I just I just absolutely ate that entire final monologue up from the Joker and pretty much Heath Ledger's performance in general. <laughs> There's one last like joke. Well, it's not even a joke. That's, that's the thing about these jokes is that they're not really jokes. They're just really yeah. kind of like dark as they're, fuck. They're going back and laughing later in a Martin Scorsese film. It's not funny at all, but it's hilarious after you watch it ten times. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like gallows humor. Like when, when the the judge is being escorted by unknowingly two of Joker's agents and be like, everything you need to know, like where you're going to be going is like is in this folder. And she opens it and it says, up. And then just like the, the the fucking car just like blows up with a bunch of like confetti uh, Joker cars just like flying out of it. I'm just like that is so fucked up. But kind of like wheeling back to like my general feelings about the Dark Knight. Like this is obviously inspired by the Killing Joke from 1988 by Alan Moore. It's obviously inspired by the Long Halloween, which informs not only the Joker's place but also the entire arc of Harvey Dent. Like the whole phrase "I believe in Harvey Dent." 
is pulled from The Long Halloween, one of my favorite comics, and The Man Who Laughs from 2005. And obviously, of course, like I said before, this entire film is centered around the theme of chaos and how that actually comes up. Um, I wanted to mention something as well, which I don't know if Nick brought this up to me or I just caught this from somewhere else. But it's unbelievable if you go back and watch the YouTube video of Tom Waits giving an interview from whatever it was like 40 years ago and listen to him talking and then listen to Heath Ledger doing his impression of the Joker. You go back and know that that's where he like he is like Heath Ledger gave interviews before his death saying that. I've modeled my voice after Tom Waits's voice mm-hmm. and you go back and even like his mannerisms, this, his inflection, in his voice, it is unbelievably uncanny. Yeah. One of my favorite ticks about the, the Joker, at least this Joker is like just the gross way that he just like licks his lips periodically. It's just so skeevy. That got old for me. It, I thought it was, quick. I thought it was just really skeevy and just really gross about it. And I was like, Oh, this dude's a weirdo. It was very, it was very for a, and that's what I loved about the Joker because he was so full of shit throughout the entire film. And I loved every second of it because when he is peddling his chaos and anarchy and everything, every move he has is so calculated. It's, it's just incredible how you guys, do you think maybe the Joker is like the hero of this movie? Okay. I want to talk. I want to jump off that right now. Okay. Joker is the new age Tyler Durden. And I do not mean that as a compliment because people like take what he says, take the things that he says and they kind of like brand them as kind of like life anthems or some shit when really like it's, it's like watching fight club when I was a teenager and thinking that this was really profound and then watching it as a 20 something year old adult and be like, wow, this guy is a fucking cult leader. He's this is I was like, oh wow, I now now I know what Heaven's Gate is. Now I know holy shit, now I know what Jonestown is. Like this is really fucked up. He is um I think that the Joker and, and a lot of things that he says are full of shit. Yeah. I, I think that um just wheeling back uh to to his creation, a lot of the things that are most um iconic about him like that whole are we talking just specifically about the joker in this film or the joker character in general about the joker in this film like when he says like what does not kill us makes us stranger like that's not something that as as good of a line as that is in a way that people have kind of i thought that was actually a good line shut (laughs) up nick i I agree yeah as, as, as 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 good of a line as i think that is and even though it's been kind of like co-opted to like sell t-shirts and shit like that, like that line didn't originally come from the dark Knight, but rather, I don't know if this was inspired at all, but it's actually a line that originates from one of my favorite animated television shows from MTV called Aeon flux. Um, so it's, it's uncanny to like see that in this context. Um, I, I think that the, the two central questions behind this, this film that I, that I, I pull from are, are people only as good as the world allows them to be? And can you be a decent man in an indecent time? And I feel like that's really kind of like the entire arc of like when you're stretched thin, when people have like – when nobody's playing by the rules anymore, can you still be somebody that can play by the rules but still beat somebody who's not playing by the rules? And like my answer to that question of like can you be a decent man in an indecent time? The, the film's answer is no. I, th- I think that you can be a decent man in a decent time. That's not what this film says. I We're taking away two different things from that. <laughs> okay. We're taking two different things from that totally, but that's okay. Uh, just like I want to quote from, from the Roman philosopher Marcus Aurelius who said, Waste no more time arguing what a good man should be. Just be one. And I think that's what Batman tries to be. Just tries to be a He's good man. He's trying to be example. a good man, but at the, at the end of the day, he has to do something that goes against his moral fiber 
to defeat the Joker. At least he doesn't have to kill anybody. That's true. Yeah. But he kills somebody in the first film, so it all works out fine in the end. Did he really kill Ra's al Ghul, or did he just leave him to his fate? No, that's kind of bullshit, man. I mean, he... I think he just left him to his fate. Nah, he could have saved him. I don't really give a shit about saving an immortal. All right, that's okay. That's okay. Well, it's... he was directly responsible for his death. Let's put it that way. Okay. I think and... the fact that you guys are... I would say you both love, so far, both of these movies that we've talked about, and you both have come away with completely different reactions to a lot of different, uh, shall we say, thematic points. And I think that's one of actually the, the failures of this movie that I just don't think... See, that, that, we're, that we're able to actually like have multiple different I, I, perspectives No, but I feel like it. that it doesn't actually add up to anything. And yeah, you, but, you have to dig to get to any of these. And yeah, just, But I feel like that's don't agree actually... With that. I know, I don't, but yeah. I haven't I said like, anything in yeah. a couple of minutes, so I just thought I'd throw that out there. Yeah. What, a, what a gentleman. I well, feel like that's actually a strength of these films, is creating something in a superhero film that you have to actually look for to find meaning in. Christopher Nolan is not the person to do that uh, on a script level because mm. he likes to lay everything out. This is the same guy who does... Uh, the the unknown quantity with love at, at the end of Interstellar yeah. and other shit and I like I like him as a methodical director but as a as a I would say clumsy writer I feel like you guys latched onto these things and I'm not saying that you guys are invalid in what you think or whatever here I'm just saying my reading on this film is that this happens when somebody pontificates in every which direction and hoping that somebody latches onto one of them and that's why I don't gravitate toward this these movies I, on a script level. I would disagree yeah. just mostly because I really like there's there's one scene that also spawns another very iconic phrase from this another iconic quote from this film which is when uh, Harvey Dent and Bruce Wayne finally meet each other face to face and like they're talking about like is Batman like somebody that we should be able to rely on as a vigilante and actually kind of like it, it actually draws a very interesting parallel that's not necessarily explicated like on screen, but if you actually know what they're talking about, then it actually becomes very interesting in that like Harvey Dent cites this this story about in the days of ancient Rome, there would be a person who would be appointed like with absolute power in order to like save everybody and then they would be forced to relinquish that power. Of course, there were people who didn't do that, and what he is referring to is like the age old office of the dictatorship. So equating like vigilantism with dictatorship, saying that you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become a villain, like there's two different spectrums of that. Like I was actually just listening to Mike Duncan's The History of Rome on the way to the to the podcast today just to brush up on this. Like I don't know if you guys know about and this is like a just short thing. If you know the story of Cincinnatus, who was the third dictator of Rome, who is known for like becoming dictator twice and giving that up? Like his story ended up inspiring American revolutionaries, like back when they when we seceded from from Great Britain, and they actually appointed George Washington the American Cincinnatus. Like he's supposed to be the platonic ideal of a person who gra- who grasps absolute power and then relinquishes it. And then you have Caesar, who who Rachel actually cites, who was stabbed to death on the Ides of March by his actual constituents, by by the people that he amassed himself to support him. So you either die a hero like Cincinnatus who basically like relinquished his his office and went off to be a farmer or Caesar, or Caesar who gets fucking stabbed to death. I thought that was interesting in a, in a way of pivoting but around it, vigilantism. I think something that Nick is is just spotting with this series which is 
it's totally for what you're saying. It totally is, is correct. And I'm, I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying because the writing and the editing in these ser- this series is clunky and it's not great. And it's, I'm only explaining why I can't no, get into it, but can, can I, can yeah. I say that I will agree with your points in that I see where they are, but I have a very much different view yeah. on where I, I'm getting this from because you have very simple ideas that are planted throughout this entire trilogy mm-hmm. and I feel like they are always meant to double back on each other and we see them at the end when we see the line of that uh, Tucson just brought up either you die here or live long enough to see yourself become the villain that literally happens at the end of the film where Batman becomes the villain even though he's technically not a villain at all he's just taking the brunt of that because and I feel like but did he die a villain though? Huh? Did he, did he live long enough to see himself become the villain? But, but he, he also died a hero too. See, that's what I'm saying. Like he he doesn't really do either of those. Things. He had his cake and eat it too. Well, not really. That wasn't what I was getting at. <laughs> but what I was getting at is that Batman as a character and this script of the Dark Knight, uh, as it moves throughout the film, is not trying. I don't feel like to be anything that is this grand script writing. I think it just writes a story in a superhero setting with characters that are extremely interesting. And it just, for me works extremely well. Like it it is over the top and calculated. And it just, for me is really what I want a superhero film to be because I'm not looking for it to be one of the best films ever. I'm not looking for it to be a Quentin Tarantino script. I'm, I'm looking for it to be, a competent superhero movie, which are, is something that is increasingly difficult to find in this landscape. And we see here just a story and a film that just does the superhero genre justice. I, I will say one thing in, in, as a reaction to what you're saying mm-hmm. is that I, I agree in the sense that I don't think the movie is trying to make a grand statement or trying to be a, like a master class in, in script writing or anything like that. In fact, of some of my favorite movies or even some superhero movies I like, I wouldn't necessarily praise for the script. But I feel like this movie just has one too many meme-worthy lines or monologues that start fighting each other, and it all becomes white noise at a certain point for mm-hmm. me. Like, that's why I, and that's why I don't gravitate to anyone in particular, because at the end of the day, I'm like, this is all just window dressing for a city and a character that doesn't even need it. And that's where I'm just like, eh, I can't really get on board. Does, and, he, does the city not need him? No, 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 no. It doesn't need the window dressing. Like, oh, okay. I'm so, I actually am, I think at least, inherently fascinated by Gotham as a city. And that's actually one thing I'll bring up right now. I, I said this to Alex before we had done the podcast, but I'll say it again now for our listeners and for Tucson's benefit. Yeah. Um, it's funny because, okay, I like The Dark Knight the most out of the three. Spoiler. Um, <laughs> but such a I, controversial opinion. I know, right? But here's here's what I'll say about it and it in relation to the previous film. I think from my very limited knowledge of Batman, so really this means nothing, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think Batman Begins is the best Batman film may have ever been made but I think The Dark Knight is the best Batman film because as far as and not and I know I've been hard on the editing or whatever but like what I like about this movie has little to do with Batman or Gotham in fact one of the things I don't like about this movie and one of the things that I actually think it fails as as like a piece of Batman I don't know fiction uh, but just barely is that 
like it's just so it it scene hops so much that Gotham becomes or does not like what I like about Tim Burton's I would say depiction of like Gotham and and even Batman Begins is Gotham feels like a place that you live in and it it feels like a character in and of itself. Yeah. I once the Dark Knight rises or once the Dark Knight hits, I, I don't feel that way about Gotham anymore. It feels like. The characters are more important than the city, which, okay, fine. Even if the the city in Tim Burton's is more extraordinary and more pulled from that kind of, like, that brutalistic, like, gothic mystique from the comic books, it feels more lived in for you. Yeah. Okay. And and when we get to the Dark Knight, we, we're, what are we doing? We're on a, cru- uh, a, a yacht? We're, we're going to Japan? I mean, this is like... <laughs> going on a yacht, going to Japan, <laughs> I just say, like, burning a person on a pile of money, yeah, and having it, two people like trying to destroy each other. It's pretty fun. I mean, I'm not saying, but like it just gets away from what makes what I thought was going to be a Batman film, and, and even some of the other stuff, but, uh, like the Jokers, uh, or Heath Ledger performance of Joker, which I actually like. I'm not saying I dislike it, mm-hmm. but watching it the second time, I was not in any way having the same reaction the first time I did it, and I think it's because some of his, like, I think he's great at delivering all his lines, but everything in between is way too uh, acting and way hmm. too ticky, because acting. if he if he had to, yeah, lick his lips one more time, like, that just felt like he was filling time instead of just, like, being chaotic. Like, like he just has to do that because he doesn't have a line right now, and it, it's, uh, and no offense, but, like, to anybody who... <laughs> shares the story about how Heath Ledger locked himself in a hotel room like all that stupid and bullshit because that doesn't matter what what matters is but that's method acting not really if it was method acting he would have killed some people I I, I will say about Heath Ledger's performance and I'm not trying to get into anything of what you're talking about Nick but I do feel like I do appreciate how much he did try to give to the character in terms of when you're a person who hears you're playing a Batman villain and just saying oh cool and then showing up first day and having to have someone read over your lines for you. Like, I feel like he actually gave something to this character that other people who have played villains in Batman films haven't given. I mean, that's why his performance is good. And Mm -hmm. like I said earlier, I liked it is that he follows, uh, two of the greatest, I think superhero performances, which is for me, Jack Nicholson as the Joker and Mark Hamill as the animated Joker. Like the fact that he was to be one of the, I don't know, is he the third or maybe the fourth iteration? I don't know. No, but, there was uh, another guy that's from the old Adam West cartoon right, guys. The yeah. Adam West, but okay. So, but roughly the fourth. Cesar like, Romero? Yeah. The, the, the fact that he could follow, I think all these pretty much, I would say like iconic, iconic and like classic performances and still somehow, Pick another card from the deck, and you know. Oh, <laughs> oh man, I'm can't, a son of a bitch. Can't wait to see how Jared Leto shuffles that deck. Oh, you know what? Man. I will say this: I feel like those tattoos, man. That grill, dog. Somehow he's damaged. Somehow put on a shirt. Am I right? Cut my life into pieces. Oh, this is my last, last resort. Let's just stop right there. guys. Let's just stop right there. Okay. No breathing. Please just stop. Uh, <laughs> I feel like the Joker is a weird character because this is my la- I'm sorry. Can we please just wow? Oh, sorry, Slugbug. Oh my yeah. goodness. Well, it's called witty banter, Tucson. You wow. should try it. Can I get this out or, or not? He hit me. I'm sorry. Continue. I feel like the Joker is a really bizarre character because I feel like <laughs> now he's holding his arm. Are you gonna need to go to the hospital. That's what happens when it's uh, 
It hurts. Oh, oh okay. I'm sorry. Got a boo boo. Oh, okay. I think I'm bleeding. Need, need no, a, you're not. Need a, need a lolly? Maybe. So, I, I, I don't, there's some about it. Like the Joker, I feel like is the one villain in the superhero genre that I feel like people have, for the most part, done justice to. Hmm. Like I feel like we've seen all these different portrayals of different villains throughout the years in all kinds of different mediums. And for the most part, the Joker, I always have liked whatever the person who's playing him has done. And I feel like Jared Leto will do a good job as the Joker in Suicide Squad, too. And I don't know, I don't know I mean, if that's a, a bad thought, but I, I don't it's know. It's not a bad thought because, in a way, despite the fact that they're, they're all good performances, he's also the easiest person to play if you're 100% committed because you just – not the easiest, but – you have something to look at and say, okay, this is what I need. Like some of the other like villains are a little more like, how do you make Bane interesting? You can't obviously because Tom Hardy didn't. I just want a but... fucking Daniel Day Lewis Joker so bad. Aww. I do. That won't happen. He'll never do it, but I I just want it. Well, before... but uh, but I'm just saying, as far yeah. when you have somebody with that kind of manic energy and like you, you already basically have the the directions in your head on how to play the character. Now you get to make your own stamp, sure, mm-hmm. but it is already so outlined because of what the Joker represents uh, that it does its job for you if you're committed to it. So that's that's why I think you're, I think like responding to this is that like a it was good choices all around of whoever's pretty much stepped in it and and b it's not as like a obviously a subtle or nuanced performance or something like that which it doesn't have to be I, hmm. I, yeah. yeah okay before we get off the dark night let's oh, we're getting off yeah. hey hey there were two things i definitely wanted to mention first we haven't talked at all about aaron eckhart's character of two-face which I think is interesting because even though I feel like he's the one part of this film that just sort of is there and isn't anything. Wait, that's I thought great. he played Harvey Dent. Because <laughs> they're too different. <laughs> I see what you did there. But I, see what you I, did I just feel there. like Aaron Eckhart is just there in this film. And even though I kind of like what's happening with Two-Face, that is one thing I will say about this film that I, I feel like doesn't really work is I love the origin story of Harvey Dent and how he played that. But we get like a second of Two-Face and that's it. And we don't get any time with him as a villain because it's just supposed to be this damaged human that has now been turned into this murderous monster for some reason. And I feel like what happened to him doesn't justify the extreme off-the-cuff killing spree he goes on. It's preferable to the comics, though. It's what? It's preferable to the comics, though. But in, in well, that doesn't mean that it's good. I mean, I know. and, and it doesn't mean that it works on a film level because okay. as we're watching it, or at least as I'm watching it, I just I can't get on board with the character who's been Harvey Dent for the first hour and a half, and then after a five minute death scene with Maggie Gyllenhaal and with the Joker coming in and doing all that shit and mm-hmm. holding the barrel of the gun and all that fucking garbage. Yeah. Then we have Two-Face going on this murderous rampage over the final 30 minutes of the film, and it just, it just doesn't add up for me for some reason. And mm. the other thing I wanted to mention, in addition to the awesome chase scene that involves uh, Gotham City and the Joker and Aaron Eckhart and Batman that we talked about earlier, I absolutely loved one of my favorite scenes of all time when I was first saw the film, and it's kind of wavered since then. But... Uh, the scene involving Batman chasing after uh, Rachel Dawes 
he thinks he is, and he's actually going after Harvey Two Face. Yeah. Um, I I just love that scene because I genuinely was on the edge of my seat and I didn't know what was going to happen the first time I saw the theater. And then when she ends up getting blown up and we, we see that she would have never been saved no matter who would have went there because she's on the roof. Harvey Dent is on the first floor. He was meant to live. She was meant to die. I just, that's why I say the Joker does everything and he's this agent of chaos, but he's the most, I feel like he has the biggest plan out of every character in this entire, this entire series, which is what makes his character so good. It was his last slight. Yeah. I was going to say one quick thing, which is what you were talking about, like the Joker's plan. I Rewatching uh, The Dark Knight for the first time in years, I kind of forgot how unfortunately similar, in my opinion, uh, the Joker in this iteration is to Jigsaw because <laughs> somehow they both possess an otherworldly, <laughs> I would say, ability to be able to predict every single like person's move. Yeah. Uh, and while it doesn't bother me in Saw because those are kind of stupid movies, and uh, here with a little too like he's supposed to be an agent of chaos, but yet he's also like the biggest chess master. Like I don't know. Like it's just like, he's a fa- he's a facilitator of chaos. Really, he creates like situations that allow other people to be enabled in chaos. I just thought it would be a little more like 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 for example, like if I truly. I never got the whole Agent of Chaos like 100% because there were certain scenes when I just wish it would have like leaned into that just a little bit more. Like when he throws Rachel uh, out the window, like I actually would have liked it if she had died right there. Like, well, because that would actually feel like chaos. Like he just decided to do that at that moment because of his word choice. But once it's revealed that no, it's more just like he's somehow going to pull every single string in this, in this, I don't know, um, long tail of, uh, other heroes and villains, whatever. It just it just gets a little too Machiavellian for me. Yeah. There's there's like two last things before we like move on to like the final film in this trilogy. Like I'm gonna start with something more jokey and something more serious. Like jokey for me is like there's a cameo in this that nobody else has really picked up on, and it's uh, Tommy Lister. Like when he when Heath Ledger's Joker does like the boat experiment stuff, right? And he gave gave these two boats like different types of like uh, uh, detonators and stuff, right? To like blow up either one. And the prisoner one, if you if you notice, like the uh, the bad guy who actually like the bad guy who gets up and like threatens like the security guard to give it to him, and then he like throws it out of the window. That's Tommy Lister, otherwise known as Debo from the movie Friday. So I'm like, Debo, you son of a bitch. What are you doing here in Gotham? Last time I saw you, you were trying to, like, steal Ice Cube's chain. Man, you really landed on some hard times, man. You're really deep in the shit in this one. Um, but the the serious point for me is, like, the ending and, like, the whole final assault on Joker's, like, makeshift, like, like, like stronghold, which really did remind me of... Batman Mask of the Phantasm, and I know that you guys have ripped that part of scene. That, that I scene, ripped that, it apart. You, you pretty much like dismantled that, that one where it's like the rooftop. Oh, with yeah. The, that, well, yeah. that was just silly. But, yeah, that, but that, I take it back because it happens like fucking five times across this entire trilogy where I'm like, how did he get that car up there? It wasn't up there. Like, What? Get out of here. They're, no, they're literally... They're, like in the first movie? Give me an first example. First of all, the, Please. these three movies run together. Just but fine. Give me, there give me, is a, give me there one is example. one instance, okay. but I don't remember which movie oh. or whatever, but... Where that car comes out of nowhere and it quite literally I, was he on another roof and then he just but he shows up not like on a parking garage roof but in a parking garage level. I will say, and I'm like, where? How did that the, happen? The, yeah. the the only instance it wasn't in the third movie. Okay. Oh, it's it's the, the beginning thing. of the second one. Yeah, it I is. Believe so. yeah. It is because the okay. car just shows up. Actually, there's actually no one driving it, which is another 
problem. Well, but it does just show up on the fourth level of the parking garage and just flies in there. Right, like I would like I would not necessarily question it if I just like saw it go from a roof to a roof. But, but I was here gonna, it's just like it's like Fast and the Furious uh, Seven in the, shit. In the, in the first film where it's driving across rooftops, we see how it gets there. Like it's not completely I'm out of the mostly room. making just, a joke because I don't no, give a shit. No, yeah, no, you're not. I know. No, I'm, I'm really. <laughs> I know. I'm really. In not. fact, I'll buy it in a cartoon more than I will in, <laughs> in a movie that's trying to be realistic. Thanks, what were you man. Trying like, to say, man. Just oh, like man. wrapping that 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 up, like watching him like pretty much having to fight off the police while he's also fighting off the Joker's man while he's also trying to fight off the Joker and like him like riding off like away from the cops and being chased by them at the end like it really reminded me of how I felt when I saw that scene in Mask of the Phantasm when I thought that Batman could literally die in this situation he could be killed by the police and it felt perilous and it kind of like like brought that like eight-year-old six-year-old out of me with uh, Jim Gordon's like final speech where he was like, he's a silent protector. He's a watchful guardian, a dark night. And I'm just like, Holy shit. Yeah. I feel like in terms of a lot of people don't like that, that speech in hindsight, but I still, it, it works for me. It's a superhero movie that has a kick-ass final speech, which is that, that, that you just mentioned with, with Batman riding off into a white light, which is very interesting. I will say too, I didn't mention when we were talking about Batman begins, but that's my favorite final line of any film and i think i mentioned it on the superhero episode too but just the line of jim gordon saying i never said thank you and batman turning around and And saying and you and you'll never have to yeah but then he flies into the camera that's fine and i was like oh (laughs) whatever there's just little touches like that that i'm like are we trying to make a grounded or are we trying to like make the campy like it's it's a superhero film yeah well that's Fine, but that doesn't mean that it like has to do certain things. And okay. Anyway. Okay. So I think let's talk about everybody's favorite movie. I was going to say, can we can we at least agree in in varying degrees that The Dark Knight is the best film out of the three? Yeah. Even even almost if, on accident for sure. Okay. I was going to say even <laughs> if some of us feel like it runs together with the other films. It's the difference between having two villains and three villains. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm only being partially cheeky. <laughs> I was going to say, I think you're actually onto something there. But, no, but I <laughs> say, like, you, you, you let it breathe a little more, and, you know. Hmm. Anyway. So, we move on to The Dark Knight Rises, which I obviously would have loved to see what the final film would have been with Dude, the Joker sure. in it. Basara, basara. And Maybe someday, and maybe this is wishful thinking, we actually will get like a book or something like that that describes. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like a hologram or something. No. Like, and I was like, no, Alex, don't be one of those. Sorry. <laughs> I, would love, me. I would love to see a book yeah. that details the events for Christopher Nolan and the rest of the production during the entire trilogy and also details, even if it's just a chapter of a book, of what he wanted the third film to actually be. Mm. And. I feel like at some point we'll get to where we can be, where we can stop saying, well, we didn't mention anything about it out of respect for Heath Ledger because, I mean, maybe I'm bad for saying this, but he was an actor who played a character in a film mm. that was a superhero movie. Yeah. And me personally, who loved The Dark Knight, would would like to know what the events were supposed to be of the third film. Yeah, I mean, at a certain point, it's like... It has nothing to do with respect for the actor. I mean, if you do it within the inaugural year of his death, sure, because you're not you're you're trying. Not, you wouldn't want to like push or sell a book because of that or mm-hmm. something like that. But at a certain point, the role extends far beyond him, no matter what his signature stamp was. Yeah, yeah. and I I'd love to see that. And I was 
their opening day to see this film, which is The Dark Knight Rises, uh, which stars Tom Hardy as Bane, also has Anne Hathaway uh, in here as Catwoman, even though she's never referred to as Catwoman. Selena Kyle. Uh, yes, Selena Kyle. And Marion Cotillard. And one of Nick's favorites, Ben Mendelsohn, somehow shows up here. I don't know why, but didn't he was get, here. Didn't get nearly enough to do. I think he should have been Batman. Can we get some girls in here? <laughs> you dumb bitch. Oh, God. Now, that's a Batman I would pay to see. <laughs> so, wow. we, we get this film. I just want to put on the record, I'm not a misogynist, and no, mm. I would not pay money to see that. I mean, I probably would get the stars Ben Mendelsohn, but I wouldn't want to. <laughs> so, we get this film, and I, I started off talking about Dark Knight, but if I can just say something about Dark Knight Rises... This film, where I feel like the script worked on a superhero level in Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, it completely falters here because it just doesn't work at all. The things that are supposed to be little hidden messages don't really work. They just make it seem that much more obvious. And, oh man, this may be some of the worst fight choreography I've ever seen in a film. It... I don't know if that's what they were going for, but if they were, they failed. Why, because why would they go for the worst fight choreography in <laughs> well, any superhero film okay, in my here, life? I, it, because Batman's old as fuck. Because uh, there's some weird, Give me less weird artistic motif that Christopher Nolan was made because it had to be something. All it was missing are the uh, the inner titles of Kapow. Bam! It wasn't even that. It was it was worse than that, and I it it was. It was intentionally bad in a way that it was not supposed to be fun. And that was the most concerning thing for me about this entire film. It, more than the story, more than Tom Hardy. It was this ridiculously awful and bleak and just sort of rock'em sock'em robots shit-ass fight choreography in the middle had, of like everybody that had no place it wasn't just that scene it oh, was yeah. multiple Mortal scenes throughout the whole film Kombat! <laughs> it was so bad I, I don't know where they came up with this idea but it was a total failure i um could not agree more i i guess the the appeal to white why they try to do that was like Batman's an old man. He has no cartilage in his knees anymore. That, that doesn't mean he should stand there and have a conversation with Tom Hardy in the middle of a crowd and then drop a line and then start. But it's dramatic. Throwing... No, it wasn't. It was a total flop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, like there's there's a lot of comics that inspired this this particular film. It's like I'm just gonna run them down. It's like Batman: The Dark Knight Returns, obviously because it's a an older Batman who's coming back into his own to try to like save everybody um batman the cult um batman year 100 which is what i wanted to talk about with the bat bike with the bat pod because batman year 100 is one of my favorite comics of all time for batman because it's actually unpacking like the myth of batman like how could this guy exist 100 years after the fact like he'd be dead now like who is this character like who is this persona and he just rides around on a badass bike and he gets chased down by this dystopian police force and i just thought it was cool and that's what i think the batpod is actually inspired by um and of course batman nightfall which is where bane actually breaks the bat like that's the famous scene where he just like takes him and just like finish him um yeah, obviously this this film has lofty ambitions despite the fact that it was kind of like slapdashed in the in the wake of Heath Ledger's absence. I've heard um I've heard 
statements from the director and from his brother, uh, Jonathan Nolan, that they wanted this film to be inspired in part by A Tale of Two Cities, which is why, like, the the final line that is, is, is spoken at least by Jim Gordon at, a, at Bruce Wayne's funeral is from – the, the famous monologue from uh, A Tale of Two Cities where the main character is about to give his life in order to save the city that he loves. Um, and it's also trying to like tap into this um, undercurrent that I feel like was much more uh, pronounced, obviously, because it was the center of that film for the big short where it's trying to talk about the financial crisis. And it's just like how could you – you're going to wonder like how you could live so large and leave so little for the rest of us. And there's so many different lines like that that are pepper fried too. And I'm just like, well, that's everybody's money. You should be trying to save. It's like, really? My money's in a mattress. Well, your money's not going to be worth shit if, this, if these people have their way. Can I say this? Um, if we were living in the real world and <laughs> uh, – Which we're not. And there was we're a the Matrix. huge attack on the stock market – and trades were made in someone's name, and they were directly linked to that. How would that work out? Like, would he really be dead broke the next day? I don't think so. Um, stock market is a fickle mistress, and I have to admit and to plead ignorance of that entirely. So I'd have to brush up on that. But yeah, I think I feel like that's pretty incredulous. It's it's as it's at least not as it's at least not as easy. To be like it is in this film in in real life. Yes. I mean, <laughs> this is also coming from a trilogy in which Bruce Wayne likes to buy every restaurant he goes into, and I don't Got know it. that he's able to really go through all that paperwork and and those How nights. How can he to... manage all these fucking restaurants? Just saying, he's got to be in the red. Yeah. How can how can he have obviously he can't give any money to the uh, also, boys home anymore? What an entitled asshole that he thinks that every time an establishment has a rule that he doesn't like, he can just fucking buy them. You know, we call that fascism. Let me tell you, that's called being a plutocrat. <laughs> yep, ruling by money. Make America great again. Am I right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Bruce Wayne's definitely a Republican, by the way. I, yeah, he'd have to be. No way, no way around it. Yeah. Deciding to use brute force for any reason to figure out anything. Torture is totally wide open for business. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a lot of superheroes. Yeah. It does sound like a lot. Oh, like there's... Captain America. Roping back to your... Um, <laughs> Your 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 sort of like Pacific Rim itis with uh with the editing for that one scene from Dark Knight. I want to just like do another uh, six degrees of separation because Burn Gorman plays Philip Striver, who is the liaison between Bane and John Daggett and Selina Kyle, yeah. who is also perhaps more famously known as Herman Gottlieb from Pacific Rim. Who basically yeah. helps them fight the kaiju? And he, he's, I don't know who that is. He's the British guy who he, always he, gets into oh, a fight guy. with. He was kind Charlie of Charlie Day. He was kind of the. Yeah, I was going to say he was uh, pain to Charlie Day's panic in yeah. uh, Pacific Rim. Yeah. We, we haven't actually talked about the greatest cameo in the entire trilogy, which comes in The Dark Knight Rises, which is Thomas Lennon as the Doctor. <gasps> yes, from Reno Nine One One. Oh yeah, my from god, a lot of things. Reno Nine One One, the state, you name it. But why he's in this movie and why he's in that one scene, I'll never know. But you know what? I'm Who cares? glad it happened. Yeah, I'm glad that it happened too. I love that scene. For for one scene, I was interested in this movie. <laughs> I, I'll say this, okay? Uh, as much panning I've been doing of this entire trilogy, I I almost think that the Dark Knight Rises would have worked had it been. And I know this sounds silly to say, but I'm just talking like the Bane plot or the 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 Selena Kyle, like just the the main meat. Obviously, uh, I almost feel like a lot of these plots would have worked earlier in the series there's something about this that feels so 
I wouldn't say inconsequential, but too little too late for a final installment that it just feels like padding from the very moment it, it starts for me uh, to, to the moment it ends. There are, uh, I, I actually like uh, Anne Hathaway's performance as Selena Kyle. I do too. Um, she's definitely on top. Uh, what's her name from Batman Returns? Michelle Pfeiffer? Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, who is probably the definitive Catwoman. And the other Catwoman. Besides Halle Berry, of course. Just yeah. the pussy I was looking for. Oh, God. <laughs> There's a double meaning. Oh. Um, but no, I actually like Anne Hathaway's performance as Selena Kyle and, and kind of like the, I would say the energy she brings into any scene with her and uh, Sad Face Bale. But, um, <laughs> and I like... What, what was the, oh man, someone coined the turn for him a, a while ago, which is great. Uh, Mope Man. That's, but yeah, that, that's certainly <laughs> uh, apt. And and I like, and that's the other thing, I like actually the supporting cast in this movie besides Bane. I like uh, Cotillard as uh, Tate, uh, Ben Mendelsohn even in his little role. Like, there's there like actually a lot of things happening here that I would have been totally interested in had it not been like at the end of the race, so to speak. Like, mm. it's just like... There's so much of it that's too little too late for me that I can't get invested in these, I would say, very, I don't know what I want to say, but very inconsequential, what feels like subplots when they're trying to be the main plots. I feel like my biggest problem with this film is that we have this character of Bane, which, for the most part, I half love and half half absolutely despise. Because, on one hand, I love the way that Bane moves throughout this film and I love what they were going for with his character. And I actually do appreciate his two major monologues. On the other hand, he's so there's just nothing to latch onto there to get interested in. You can hardly understand what he's saying half the time, unless you're seen the film. Uh, Tom Hardy looks like he's not really doing anything other than moving his eyes around when he's doing his Bane talking. And the production of this film cared so much about what his coat looked like that the production designer spent years figuring out exactly how they wanted his coat to be. I genuinely like, forgot he wore a coat in this movie until you just pointed that out. <laughs> That's the thing. I love that coat. I, I feel I like just, so much attention was given to so sorry. was given to the physical and the sort of sound of what Bane was going to be, they forgot to write a character. Yeah. And it just failed miserably on that level. The reason why I forgot about the code is I can't stop whenever he's on screen staring at, you know, his little mask mm. ventilator thingy and yeah. how it makes his head look like a little squeezed penis because just the way it's like protruding out of it is really creepy. Uh, speaking of that, um, every time I saw... A squeezed penis? Well, yeah, every time... Sorry, do you want me to let go? No, every, every single time I... <laughs> Stop. Anyway, every single time that I saw Bane like shirtless, I thought of Tom Hardy's scene from Bronson where he has like butter rubbed on him, and I just imagined <laughs> Bane being like, "Quicker, quicker, 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 quicker! Stay in the fucking corner." Well, yeah. Why does Bane have a British accent? Let's 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 start there. Why well, not? Because he's he not British. Why is he in a plane this, in the beginning well, of this in, movie? I don't well, really think a lot of This is a different Bane than the one who is in the actual comic, who is actually supposed to be um, Latino, from what I remember. Um, he's supposed to be a luchador. What's his name? It's like 
Antonio Diego or something like that is Bane's real name. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. I will say, I think the one biggest like misfire of this whole movie, or like, I would say missed opportunity, is that during the climatic fight, well, there are several, but maybe we'll just take like the, the last one between Batman and Bane, is that Batman never once utters a line, you're a real Bane in my ass. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, that would have just tied the entire movie together. <laughs> <laughs> For you. Um, so, a, a point that I wanted to bring up that I actually discussed <laughs> with Nick earlier, uh, which is interesting while we're talking about Bane, uh, is that I felt like this, and, and sound editing is something that Christopher Nolan can definitely take some flack for because the sound editing in his films has honestly been awful for the most part. Yeah, I feel like, especially in in uh, Interstellar. Yeah, and in the, in this film as well, mm-hmm. I never felt like I was actually hearing Bane talk. I felt like they were playing his voice on every speaker you could possibly find in and around where you're sitting. And if you're watching this in a surround sound environment, it sounds like you're hearing someone talk over a PA announcement speaker in a stadium not talking to you, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I wish there was sort of like a um, – I wish in the future there there is this feature where everybody like at some point while watching a movie in a theater can just like vote instantaneously of whether or not they want to put on subtitles <laughs> because I feel like it would really circumvent this whole like Bane problem. The, the 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 fucking amazing thing about that too is this is the third attempt. What we got was the third attempt because the first time when they played this for test audiences, no one had any idea what he was saying. Speaking of the uh, the the British uh, like intonation of, of Tom Hardy, have you ever heard the um, the French dub of Bane for the movie? <laughs> I will show that to you like later on because it is fucking demonic and menacing and so fucking cool. I'm just like, why can't we have that? Why can't we have nice things? <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. 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 It, it's such a love-hate thing with me because I love Bane. I mean, I have a poster of Bane in this room from The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. Like, I, I, I love Tom Hardy's portrayal of Bane, but at the same time, it's I hate it. dope-ass coat. Yeah, it is. I like his coat. I like his mask. I I like so many things about what Bane and Tom Hardy playing Bane is, but at the same time, it just is a fucking disaster. So I like how he died because it was fucking hilarious. That was that was terrible. I'm sorry. I will disagree. I thought it was hilarious. That was the biggest fucking just miscue in this yeah. entire film. And it was great. No, it was not. I disagree. <laughs> I'm not saying that it was great and that it was it was a great moment. I'm saying it was great because it was just so it was just such a limp. It was the biggest... deflation of tension, and I'm just like, ah. it was the most anticlimactic moment ever. Yes, it was. Like you have. Batman who's struggling uphill stream the entire film to deal with him and it just takes Selina Kyle showing up and just blowing him away with a gun. That Who just... run the world? Girls! I guess. I That was for me, for someone who is loving the character and loves great death scenes, that was just a huge limp one. Speaking of bad death scenes uh, Miranda Tate, Marion Cotillard what was that? Where she's just like better contain yourselves and then she does like the 1950s serious death where she moves her head around then closes her eyes and drops her head she was acting no that's not acting that was awful that was she we was need to wrap this acting. up because we need to get this out by july so yeah Jesus. we only got time for one take okay <laughs> i guess you have to do that like weird head shaking like tim burton shit you do okay 
I guess. Yeah. I, I, I'm giving this film a lot of shit because it deserves it. But it's still, for me, a superhero film that I, for the most part, can dig throughout it because there are a lot of parts of The Dark Knight Rises that I do actually love. A lot of the action set pieces I feel like somewhat work. I love seeing the football field explode behind Heinz Ward running to the end zone. I like JGL. George Gordon. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, yeah. So, there you go. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I forget he's in this movie until he shows up, and then when he's in it, and then I forget the minute he's not on screen, and then I'm reminded every time because he's just there. I like your real name, Robin. For a series that tried so hard to stay somewhat true, the fuck was that? I, I don't know what the I, fuck that was. I can't even. I can't even front. That was pretty fucking weird. That was so disappointing. Cause Robin. Not, not only is he not Robin from the comics. He's he's supposed to be taking a being Batman. So now you have this character whose name is Robin becoming Batman. Robin does become Batman, or at least one of the Robins does become Batman for Dick a while. Dick Grayson becomes Batman. Oh. He's not he's not Dick Grayson. His name's Robin Blake. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't. That was just that was just fucking fumbling at the goal line. Be like oh, the same way that Marion Cotillard's uh, character isn't Talia Ghul, but rather she is Marion. What what it was Miranda he? Tate Miranda Miranda Tate and how Liam Neeson's like Raza Ghul isn't uh, Raza Ghul he's some name what was that I don't know I don't know what the fuck his name is I can't remember he's fucking Raza Ghul look at his fucking mustache yeah and also for Raza Ghul being immortal he aged quite a bit in uh, in Batman's brain over eight years that's weird Taken yeah. will do that for two years <laughs> yeah but Taken will mess the shit out of you I was mentioning that there were a lot of moments in this film that I ate up very much so I saw this film at a drive-in the second time I saw what? it but I still enjoyed seeing it there uh, there are a lot of cool things involving the chase scene early on when we first see Batman reappearing where the lights are sort of going on and off under the tunnel which makes no sense but I'm willing to go with it we have the cool, interesting part where there are literally hundreds of police cars chasing him down this street, and then he just flies away, uh, which is awesome. In the bat. Yeah, which is a cool-looking thing, and that was another storyline that was completely just neutered in this film, where let's mention 16 times that the autopilot is broken on this to make it seem like he could die at the end, and then he'll fix it. It was his... Uh, I, re- I remember when, right before it came back that there were three things that were foreshadowed in a Tor.com article, and I immediately knew what they were talking about. One of them is, like, Batman performs his written back falls, which if you know what that means, it means from the old, like, like Alan Doyle, like, Sherlock Holmes-like stories, where it was supposed to be his final standoff with his nemesis Moriarty, where he's supposed to, to have died, but he actually faked his death. That's actually something that's referenced in the second season of the the modern Sherlock. If you ever want to see that, so yeah, yeah, I, I still I think that was my biggest disappointment from the entire Dark Knight trilogy is that I really liked the message. Not that he's committing suicide necessarily, but that was where he was willing to go for to save Gotham city and would have been an absolutely fitting moment to have him flying away and like literally taking a nuclear bomb away from Gotham city. So it, he, he can take the brunt of that moment and it's just totally flamed out by him still being alive and just living at the end. And I, I feel like it was a bad view to have for wanting to see a superhero die, Mm. but it would have been such a, a 
almost original idea to just go through with it and Nolan just couldn't do it. There's so. a there's a a dub online of Batman's final moments when he's taking the bomb, he's flying out uh past the shore and it explodes where leading up to the actual explosion, um Batman is listening to pump up the jams, pump it up. And I'm just like in that mind that is my canonical like version of that because it just makes it so much more enjoyable. So, yeah. Uh that that's pretty much I I have nothing to say about uh, Dark Knight Rises any more than mm-hmm. it is a far better thing now than I've ever done before. <laughs> yeah, I, I've tried to mention things that I, I really like about it, and I have lots of them somewhere in there, but there are a lot of small things, and I guess that's why it's been hard for me to mention larger things about this film, because there are a lot of small things, the action sequences, some of the script in this film, even though it falters at many points, I think in small doses, hits on a lot of things. And I do like Selena Kyle uh, and Anne Hathaway's performance. I do actually like Christian Bale in this film. And I do like this idea of him being like actually tortured when he was, for the most part, doing the same thing to his people who were giving him demons. We see the reverse side of that, where someone who has a completely different goal than he does is really doing to him what he was willing to do to other people, and that is torture his soul and his body at the same time. And it actually finally makes Bruce Wayne become somewhat of a better person towards the end of this film, where you you finally actually arrive somewhere and have a full arc where it looked like there was a chance like he just wouldn't have one because his character was so mopey and had no goal throughout the first two films really at all other than to bring pain to people who wanted to bring pain to his city. But I, I like that aspect of it. And I, as I mentioned, I like a lot of Bane, but man, there's so much of this film that just is not as good as the first two. And it's, it's disappointing. I think it it does have a lot to do with the fact that this just isn't the film that they wanted to make. Every single time uh, in the first film and the third film where they do the classic thing of opening up the back cave by um, pressing the, the piano keys, it'd be awesome if it was all just one note and it would just like mope, 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 mope. I think it would be very, very appropriate for this entire uh, emotional arc that, Better if you had to play chopsticks. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> that would actually be pretty cool. <laughs> You're just taking the piss out of these movies because, like, no, I just think that would actually make these movies better. <laughs> yeah, you want more campy. Okay, I see you. Um, something I will say that I haven't really talked about at all. Michael Caine is one of my favorite parts of this entire trilogy. I think he's by far my favorite Alfred, even though I uh, do like. Why am I forgetting his name now? The guy who plays him in the first uh, Batman, in the Burton Batman's. Oh my god, he's like my favorite. Oh my <sighs> Me god. too. Yeah, <laughs> but I love Michael Caine here, and I especially like him in The Dark Knight Rises because I feel like he plays the character of being Batman's sort of friend slash partner in crime as opposed to being his mentor, which I feel like he's trying to play in the first two films. He's just there to be his friend in these movies. And I feel like finally he tells him the secret that he's been hiding for eight years. And it's such a great moment. Michael Gaw, I thought that's what his name was, but yeah. I, I forgot. Yeah. Um, but uh, Michael Caine gives a absolutely great line and great monologue when he has his final moment with Bruce Wayne in this film. And I think that is one of the stand-up parts of The Dark Knight Rises because that delivery from Michael Caine, I felt was so actual heartfelt about his character and with Bruce Wayne and also just Michael Caine giving himself 
and the way he talks. I mean, there were a lot of Michael Caine-isms just in that serious monologue, and it just worked really well for me. And it really brought his character to a grand finale as he has his final real moment of uh, the film, even though he has a couple of things towards the denouement of the film that yeah. are involved. And in, in the final scene of the film where he's in Paris seeing Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle across from him. But that, that moment that was scene. the emotional core of what Alfred's character always was going to be and what he was going towards. And I feel like he's the one character who had a perfect send off in this trilogy. Yeah. But even that scene, like that's a, that's sort of a, a denouement for him that you really have to, you have to already have been committed and sold on this because you could easily pick that apart mm-hmm. because like, how the fuck did they know? Yeah. I yeah, mean, he's yeah. Batman. He could probably trace him down. See, with I his, was going like, to say, I, I feel like if you wanted to really get nerdy, you could say that Batman had the ability to know that Alfred was going to be there at some time. But I don't want to go there because whatever, it's just a cutesy end to it. Much better than fucking Robin being Batman and all that shit. But yeah, I, I'm just a fan of a lot of parts of this movie. But as I've said here a few times, yeah, there's a lot of bad things here too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that as many bad things as there are in Dark Knight Rises, uh, it doesn't look like it's going to be uh, moved down the down the the slot of, of bad Batman films. Well, let's soon. talk about that really quickly. Unless anyone else had anything they want to say about the Dark Knight trilogy, I think we've hit on a lot of things about it and talked about its flaws and also about its high points. It had definitely, I think, a number of both of those. Yeah. Even if I absolutely love the first two films, I'm very much able to see a lot of its shortcomings. But I love superhero movies and Batman, so it's very easy for me just to bulldoze past those. Yeah. But we move on to the film we're talking about next week when uh, our friend Brian will be here. Our first episode we'll be doing with him. He's been a consistent listener and uh, given feedback for our podcast uh, multiple times, and we obviously appreciate that. We're excited. And we're excited to finally do an episode with him because I think it'll be interesting to hear his perspective on the film Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Which, if you go by the early fanboy reviews, was the greatest film ever made. And if you look at actual reviews... Not really. Um, this may be everything that the three of us have feared it was going to be, and I'm just concerned. And I haven't even seen the movie yet, so um, my soul is and my soul and body are ready for the shit storm that I'm about to uh, <laughs> witness. Um, I have prepared myself. Uh, yep let's let's just head into this maelstrom. Yeah. Once more into the breach, dear Nick, friends. Nick's yawning, like legitimately yawning, not trying to. He's already <laughs> yawning. He's ready for next week's episode. Yeah. He's had enough of superhero movies, I think, for a while. These are my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You watched three of them. You talked about them today. Yeah, yeah buddy. So look forward to that. Well, uh, we're going to watch Man of Steel after this I was goddamn say, episode. But there's going to be pizza watch. and beer. So, I mean, there's that. Is that is true. I made sure of that. <laughs> yeah. So look forward to that coming up uh, next episode as we'll be talking about Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. If you have any feelings actually on anything that involved the Batman or Superman series or the uh, um, newly released film by Zack Snyder, feel free to send them on to filmtankshow at gmail.com or you can always find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at filmtankshow. And you can listen to all of our episodes on filmtankshow.com or on iTunes as well. So from Nick Cheney to Son Egan, myself, Alex Diegman, thank you very much for listening to this episode where we talked about the Dark Knight trilogy. We'll catch up with you next time. <laughs>